You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Audition, side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hey, everybody. It's Rory O'Malley. Welcome to Living the Dream. Um, I hope you had a great week. I did. I got to go to... Los Angeles uh, to celebrate a really wonderful man, Gary Marshall, who gave me my first job out of college. I played Richie Cunningham in Happy Days the Musical for Mr. Gary Marshall, and sadly he passed away in July, but we all got together in LA to celebrate his life this past Sunday on his birthday, which would have been his 82nd birthday, and it was probably the most beautiful memorial you could ever imagine. I was uh, surrounded by my friends who I met at his theater, the Falcon Theater, which is now gonna be renamed the Gary Marshall Theater in Toluca Lake uh, in Burbank, California. And it was, it was, you know, a lot of laughs, a lot of tears. There were, of course, celebrities who credit him with giving them their start, like Henry Winkler spoke, it was he was beautiful um julia roberts it was a beautiful speech and very funny and tom hanks basically did an entire stand-up routine as doing his impression of gary marshall and then uh bet midler sang wind beneath my wings and uh my little gay heart broke and i sobbed but it was it was a celebration you know it was it was amazing, and because Gary was a very proud alum of Northwestern, the Northwestern marching band played at the end the Happy Days theme song, and uh, we were all a puddle. But it reminded me the power of an artist who doesn't just want to make great art, but wants to make a community of, and a family. And that's the way that Gary lived his life as a creator, as someone who didn't just put together a, a show that was going to be a hit, but he put people in a room who he loved to be with. And the, the, the fact that he put me in one of those rooms early on in my career, first of all, it kept me in this business and it made me who I am today. And uh, I'm going to spend the rest of my career trying to be like the man that I loved so much, Gary Marshall. So it was a, a beautiful experience. And it's very fitting that this week I get to talk to someone who I love very, very much, 
my good friend Nikki James, who won a Tony Award for her portrayal in the Book of Mormon. Uh, we got to experience that together over many, many years of, of creating the show with the writers, and, uh, and we've, we are bonded for life because of that. I love her very, very much and had a really wonderful conversation with her. So enjoy. You I'm feel going. good? I'm going. Isn't that weird? He's going. It's already started. There's only a few places in the world where I like literally don't think about my phone, and one of them is when I work out, which is why I think I work out as much as I do. Because you are have an escape from your phone. Oh my god, it's a really weird thing. Like it doesn't even occur to me, like when I'm putting my phone like in a locker to go into yoga class, that like right. something important might happen in the hour and a half that I'm like taking this class. But I just went to see. Um, Fantastic Beasts, yeah. uh, and where to find them? Yeah, and uh, and I was like, oh well, you know, like I'm gonna put my phone in the cup holder. I had like a moment where I was like, what is gonna ha- what like what is crucial that's gonna happen while right. you like sit here for these two hours? I don't know what. But when is. you're going to do something physical, you don't even think about. Well, it. I think it's just because your brain is so deeply. I mean, obviously, like five minutes into the f- film, you are not right because you're watching the film. Right. Um. I just think that there's places where we've decided it's okay to bring our phones. And there's places we've decided there we that it is it isn't okay. Yeah. Because I don't think about my phone when I'm at the theater. It's weird. I think it's just because other people talk about. Yeah. If someone picked up their phone in a yoga class, I don't know what I would do. Have you seen? I've seen people though bring their phones into yoga classes and to like Barry's boot camp. You're a Barry. You got me into Barry's boot camp. I, I mean, the, the dozen times I went. But <laughs> uh, but you you are big into Barry's boot camp and people bring their phones and will bring them on the floor while they're doing this crazy workout. I don't have that mentality. I don't know. I don't know how people do that. I mean, my phone would be literally crushed to pieces if yeah. I tried to bring it into that oh, I, I'm not safe in a Barry's boot camp. <laughs> I, I'm always like so close to losing a finger from lifting away and like doing one of the maneuvers. I wonder also like, do. it's like so sweaty in there. Like I wonder if that's like Ugh. damaging to the, um, the apparatus. Oh yeah, it's like a hot. I always think of like Barry's boot camp. Clearly, this is not a promotional, but it, it does get you in shape. But I think of it as like Guantanamo Bay torture. Like mm-hmm. it's like red lights. Oh yeah. And but you know the red lights make your muscles look so much better. You haven't that's, noticed that? Well, it's it's when dark. I'm like, I'm like this is very dark <laughs> and hard to see. How is this good or safe? Um, it's not. Oh, well, I don't know. I don't know if it's good or safe, but I like it. <laughs> the things we do. For love. I mean, I think I'm a masochist. Is that the right word? Sadist? No, masochist. Masochist. Um, I may be a sadist too, I don't know. But um, I think I just really like, I don't know, there's some, I wasn't a fitness person. I, I was a gymnast growing up. I wasn't really like into fitness. And it wasn't until we started doing Mormon that I even had money to think about. Like, spending $25 for someone else to tell me how to run on a treadmill. I mean, it's a little ridiculous. But but I think I really like... I like seeing how far I can go. Like, I really enjoy pushing myself. And some part of it is also the the competition. Because I don't work out as hard if I'm by myself. Really? Oh, yeah. Like, I purposely... We used to be... We're gonna talk so much about this, but this is—it's part of my personality. It's like really interesting insight. So, used to be you would choose your treadmills. You didn't 
you didn't have them assigned, so you would just walk in and choose them. Right. And I would purposely like identify someone who I thought might be a strong runner, like just by looking at them, right. and then choose the treadmill next to them, and then run faster than them. Like, that's wow. I mean, and if I think I, I see might that give in up, you, yeah. I see that you would. Yeah. And if I think I might give up, and like the person next to me is like still running, where they'll say like run at you know six miles an hour, and I think okay, and I see the p- person next to me is like running at seven, I was like, well then I have to be running at seven oh one. Wow. Seven point one. Yeah, wow. it's insane. It's a really. But it's weird good. It's good to like seven. kind of give yourself some kind of motivation and. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Purpose. It's the actress in you that needs the motivation yeah, of your I character guess. in the gym. It is my gym character, my yeah. gym persona. Um, so let's start at the at the beginning before I met you when we were doing the Mormon musical, the secret Mormon musical. What were they calling it? I think it was called the the Mormon Project or the Mormon, Mormon Musical. Yeah. Or it was untitled musical. The untitled musical. Yeah, I and mean, whenever we had signs <laughs> on the door, it ne- it didn't say anything Mormon. It was like just untitled musical project. So <laughs> specific. Um, yeah, but but you you grew up in New Jersey. Yeah, I grew up in New Jersey, just like twenty five miles from here. And um, so you do you know like my mother and my father? I'm a first generation American, uh-huh. so neither one of my parents were born here. My mom is from Haiti, right? And she moved here when she was like thirteen in the sixties. My dad is from um an island in the Caribbean called St. Vincent, which is a British West Indies. Oh. It's like directly below St. Lucia. Okay. They have a volcano there. Oh my God. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a teeny tiny little island. I, I don't. I mean, I don't know how big or small it is compared to like, it's small compared right. to the United States. And he moved when he was slightly older. So my, my dad was already like out of high school. So he moved kind of as a grown up. I think wow. he was 17 or 18. Yeah, so they met in Queens, which is a place to meet when you're from different islands I guess like so many people live in Queens and um, I have an older brother and uh, and by the time I had come they had moved to New Jersey so I'm like a first-generation American my mom has like a really funny accent oh my god I love your mom she's so intense I had breakfast with her this morning you did she took the bus in and she was bragging so much about the fact that she can get a senior citizen ticket Uh. so the the bus only cost her four dollars and eighty cents oh man (laughs) yes and she bought me socks she she bought me socks that socks with cats is this like cats the musical or just cats no just cats wow they're socks with cats. They're maroon socks. God with bless blue. your mom. Yeah, she's a she's a piece of work. She's she's amazing. And then, as far as like the the singing and the all that came around, I was like, <clears throat> my dad was a singer, like a really good singer. And when he was in Saint Vincent, he was like in a band and he wrote songs and he played like shows, not really as a professional. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, the way you do when you're a teenager. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think I was in I was in kindergarten. And uh, it was my kindergarten graduation, and the teacher assigned me the task of singing The Greatest Love of All at my kindergarten graduation. Kindergarten graduation. Yeah. You got the Whitney Houston song. Yeah, obviously. Of course. The other thing that's, like, kind of amazing is I was, like, also the only black girl in this (laughs) class. So, like, I don't know. I'm not going to assume that she was, like... Did she know you could sing? I don't know the answer to that. And my mom is sort of... My mom's memory on all things is like, 
you, I always have, it's really suspect. Like, yeah. she'll tell me things that happened yesterday, and I'll be like, no, sure. that's just not true. Like, that's yeah. just... My so, mom, my Irish mom always kind of puts her own spin on it. Yeah, she it's just better makes, to have a good story than yeah. the truth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so anyway, I think, no, I, I have no idea if this teacher identified me as, like, a singer or what. Or she was like, well, I want to do this Whitney Houston song because it's 1988 yeah. or 89 or yeah. whatever year that was. And, and like, I don't know, we'll give it a little black girl. Like, she probably sings. So I have no idea. But I sang the song, and that was the first time I sang in front of people. So I was, what, five or six? Wow. And I think my dad, like, that was the same year I also saw my first Broadway musical. And I think Which was what? Cats. <laughs> <laughs> dad both you know identified my talent and also or talent or love or what I don't know if it's talent when you're five but also that he you know I think there was like a part of him that encouraged it yeah uh, because it was something that he had given up on and not in a mama rose way Mm -hmm. but in a in a way where like that is why you moved from where you live to the United States That's to why give you your children. Oh, so yeah. I see. Yeah, you yeah. You know, to give your children sure. the opportunities that maybe you wouldn't have been able to afford. He's a, he, he had to take certain risks for a better life. Right. And he, he's like, you got to go for it. Yeah. If that's what your dream is. Totally. And so I think, uh, yeah, Catholic, no. I mean, I sang in Catholic school and stuff. Catholic church. I was raised Catholic. Like you. Like me. So you know that the songs are like, when, peop- when people say like, oh, so you start singing in church. I'm like, yeah, no. Like singing in Catholic church and is not the will <laughs> raise you up on eagle's wing, bear you on the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun, and hold you in the palm. Of his hands. So that's not the same as like... (laughs) But it still will bring a tear to our eye. Oh my God. One Bread, One Body is probably my favorite song. Oh my God. So I don't know. Some good hits, but they're not like... They aren't uh, at the Broadway Inspirational Voices concerts. (laughs) No doubt. Apparently. (laughs) Would be pretty amazing if... I mean, I I bet he could do it. Oh, we actually... could do an arrangement of... Can we do a Catholic concert to kind (laughs) of... Bring new life. That's that's why I love Sister Act so much. I used to like try to convince the choir that they should that they, do that. So if we put a little more pep in our singing here, maybe some more people will come, and we can fix the roof, just like Whoopi Goldberg did. We need to fix the roof. We need to fix the roof. Your teacher says take off your robes. What? I don't know. Just take off your robes. <laughs> and Sister Act too. Yes, I know. I love I th- I like Sister Act two better than Sister Act because I well, feel like this is where we're gonna have to end the podcast. Yeah, um, it's over. I'm so sorry, but uh, <laughs> I have I actually have this debate with the cast of Hamilton a lot because there's a lot of young kids, and oh. I I will say this: Sister Act two back is, in the habit. Back in the habit <laughs> is a phenomenal movie and is so quotable and has so many amazing moments. But you can't get Sister Act two without Sister Act 1, and we need to respect where the story began. Of course. And I just, I love Sister Act 1 so much, and I really did want to become a nun after I saw it. Did you? Yes. Which one would you have been? Oh, I was be, uh, well, I loved Sister Mary Clarence, obviously, Whoopi, but, you know, I I was more of a Kathy and Jamie of, than, than anyone. 
else just really that movie happy. really is so good what's oh, so good it's all the whole thing is great but we it wasn't you know that is where we started singing uh, I started singing in yeah. church but it wasn't the kind of singing that well no it's not the kind of singing that people like when people are like oh so you started singing in church right and I'm like well you, but like when you see me and you think I started singing right. in church, like it's not that's not because really... nobody looks at me and thinks, oh, you started singing in church. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> they know that my church. Yeah, I wasn't mean, you know what I'm exciting. alluding to. What I'm yeah. alluding to, like I didn't get like, I didn't like get a gospel choir experience, right. but I did get to be a cantor. Right. And uh, and and you know and but 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 more than church, like my biggest influence was musical theater. Yeah. I mean, like, I didn't, I mean, singing at church was a place for me to sing, but mm. I cared much more about, you know, the cast album of, you know, Crazy For You mm-hmm. and, you know, State Fair and all those shows that were opening in the, in right. the mid-90s. Like, I was just obsessed with, with Broadway. I and one know. show in particular. Yeah. Do you think you're going to escape talking to me? No, I can't. About Broadway in the mid-90s and not talk about your love for a certain show. You're mistaken. Rent, yeah. Rent. You were a big rent head. I was a big everything head, but like I was a specifically a rent head, which opened, what, 95, mm-hmm. 95, 96, so I was like 14 or 15, mm-hmm. and New York City was cleaning up, but it didn't look the way it looks now. Right. And, um, and the show, my first introduction to the show was... I think it was their performance on the Tonys that year. Right. And I made a VHS tape of it and played it ad nauseum. And then went maybe that week and I stood on what they called the, which was the line. And at that time you could only wait for a few hours and get tickets oh, and really? stand and sit in the front row. Wow. And I sat in the front row with my friend Chan and Jocelyn and we took the bus in, the train, the Midtown Direct train from. Milburn, New Jersey. Her parents had dropped us off. And I don't really understand like why my parents thought it was okay for us to come to the city by ourselves at that point, but we just like did. Yeah. It was a different era time, I guess. And um and I sat in the front row and you know it was the single best moment of my life at that up till that point. Like for whatever reason, the where we were on the line, we got to sit in what the rent heads call the key seat, mm. uh, which is where it's like right center, and it's where Mark drops the key down for Collins. Oh. Um, throw down the key, and that's where he throws. So it's called the key seat. It's a very prime location. <laughs> um, and so we didn't know that we sort of lucked into it. Right. And, and simultaneously, like what was hap- the other thing that was happening right around the time it was rent was the internet. Mm. It was like really becoming a thing. And chat so rooms. chat rooms and bulletin boards, and I had made all these virtual friends who I communicated with in the like immediately, not pen pal wise. Like we could talk, and there were people from all over the country, and I would meet them at the rent line. You would meet them in person, or the people you would meet on the rent line, you would be able to communicate with once you got home. Right. And so it became this like, in addition to the show being the show which was amazing, it was a place for me to have this community of theater fans and share bootlegs and be a part of this, like, a mini movement in a way that, you know, five years earlier we wouldn't be able to, and even five years later it would be 
too blown up, mm-hmm. you know, and too scary. Like, it was before the internet got scary. Right. Before your parents were like, wait, you're talking to a 40-year-old person who lives with their parents in Iowa? You know, like, before yeah. we realized that this was also the, a place The potential could, good and bad. Yeah, the danger of it. And so, it was, it was so funny. This is a really funny story. So, the first time I saw it, I was sitting in the key seat, like I said, and I... I look a lot younger than I am. Mm-hmm. And so certainly even at 14, I probably looked like 11 or 12. Right. And I'll never forget Tay Diggs it came out and I was standing waiting for Playbill's um, autographs, which I did a lot of. And, um, and he was like, oh my God, you were so cute sitting in that front row your whole time, your face. And he like did an imitation of my face, which was like slack jawed, like an right. awe. And, and I kind of became like, friendly with them and right. you know and yeah. it was this it was a magical time and um, and uh, I'll never forget it became it was so the line became the show was a phenomenon you're and we've, you've now been a part of two other phenomenal musicals mm-hmm. and so once the rest of the world sort of caught up with Rent it became more and more difficult to sort of just do the get line get that key state oh key no seat. you'd have to sleep on the street for the night, all night yeah. All night. And then you would shuffle around. And I would show up at the middle of the night. Oh, my God. What's wrong with my parents? They would drive <laughs> us in at, like, 4 o'clock in the morning. And then they would park across the street on 41st Street, which was literally the seediest place. Yeah. Like, there was Down the street was, like, peep shows and, like, construction sites. Port Authority and, yeah. Yeah. And they were doing construction on the New Amsterdam at the time. Like, so that was... Wow. Nothing was there across the street. That hotel... Wasn't there? None of no, that. No, no. And um, my mom would, my mom, my mom or Shannon's dad would p- sit in the car across the street until the sun came up, and then they would drive back to New Jersey. Oh my God! <laughs> it's, like, totally, it's amazing. I have no idea. But it's like I, I, I know why I didn't do it. It's because I lived in Cleveland, yeah, not yeah. because I wouldn't have done it. Oh no, you would have done it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that you were able to get here. In, and and be a part of that. It was, it had to be so uh, forming of who you are today mm-hmm. to actually be a part of it. You oh, know, yeah. um, so you you were a redhead. You were a big Broadway fan, and so then you started taking classes, or you were you did stuff at the paper mill, right? Yeah. Before that, um, I, so that same friend Shannon. Oh, this is the other thing. My friend Shannon is the other reason why I did any of these things. Right. Because she's a completely crazy person. And right. I say that with total love. Love and respect. So, like, I would have been nervous about some of these right. things. And she would just fearless. be like, oh, yeah, completely fearless. Sure. The stories, I mean, I can do an entire hour just on Shannon. But Shannon and I wanted to be actresses. And she's the one who introduced me to the community theater in my town. Right. Because I went to private school, so I didn't know about a lot of the things that were happening. The public school kids were doing, right? And uh, she was like, "Oh, we have a community theater. They do a children's production. You should audition. We're doing. They're doing Charlotte's Web. I'm auditioning on this day." And I was like, "Okay," so I auditioned as well. And then there was a girl named Ann Papalizio, who had an agent. Of course, Papalizio had an agent. Mm-hmm. So Shannon, oh my god, Shannon devised this plan. <laughs> And if you listen to this, I'm so sorry. Because I really, we're friends for real too now. Uh, Shannon devised the plan that we would be friend and Papalizio and her mother to find out how they got an agent. Oh my and God. And then also get agents. 
Oh my God, just scheming. We were 12, I think. Wow. So we were, Anne lived close to Shannon, so what, and she was a year younger than us, maybe mm-hmm. two, and we were like, we want to come over one day. And so we came over one day, and we like sat with Anne and her mom, and they were more than happy to sort of like talk about Anne's career in the city. Right. But Shannon was like taking full on mental notes, and she was like, we're getting Backstage Magazine, where she goes to this voice teacher. We're going to go to that voice teacher, too. And I got a copy of Backstage Magazine. I saved money babysitting. And I bought headshots from... My mother drove me into the city, so I get headshots from this guy named Danny Darrow. Wow, and, um, you have a really good memory. Oh, yeah, because these are things that, like... <laughs> that was, like, like, ingrained in you. It's not like you could, like, write it on your... Put it in your phone. No, it was ingrained. You were like, I've got to rem- memorize this name. Yeah, and, and also, number. I had to, like... I had to, like go and like highlight the back of Backstage Magazine, which right. we had to specifically ask our town library to order for us. Oh because God. it's the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there wasn't the internet. Yeah. And I like had to go in the back, and he was only $79. So I was like, well, Danny Darrow is my guy. That's how much money I have. And then I sent away for um, the agent labels. Right. And I stuffed envelopes and I lived walking distance to the post office and so I walked myself to the post office it was like within my area where I could and you're 12 mm-hmm. wow. and I did a mailing and you I did a mailing when you were 12 <laughs> years old that is yeah I was in 8th grade amazing maybe 13 me. no 12 13. and I got signed by a manager oh my god and um, and I had my SAG card and my equity card by 1995. Oh my <laughs> god! I didn't even know what an agent was when I was twelve. Because I you was didn't know Ann Papalizio. No, I didn't know Ann Papalizio. And you didn't have but Shannon, I, no. who was diabolical. Shannon's like, we're gonna become friends with Ann Papalizio. We're gonna find we know out. What we're but that's how it always is. I mean, it's not like it's not too different from what you do mm-hmm. in this business anyway. Is try to figure out how this guy or that girl figured out how to get where they are. Uh-huh. And and we're all, yeah, and we don't know who knows how to how to get ahead and get jobs, but you just have to look to the people around you and be like, well, I guess that worked for that that person. Yep. So, wow, I can't believe I never told you that. Yeah, no. it's really a weird. Story. Well, it's funny though, the, like the mailings and the, the getting backstage at your library because I went back to Carnegie Mellon to talk to students uh-huh. recently. <laughs> And I think it was just just the other day that I graduated from Carnegie it Mellon. Wasn't. It was not. No. And it, you know, like when I graduated, you had to have two hotlines set up, voice message boxes that they made us get when we graduated. Are so you one, one in New York and one in Los Angeles because our numbers were Pittsburgh numbers. So they wanted you to have local numbers. They wanted us to have local numbers because that is genius. Yeah. So we had to have local numbers, but it's because they didn't think that people would want to dial Call long, long distance. distance. Because I had just gotten my cell phone the year before, so you had to get a voicemail box when you when we were graduating. This is two thousand and three, folks. You could do the math of how old I am. I don't care. And 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 we had we had to you know put together your mailings. You had to have the headshots <laughs> and everything. And I said to somebody when I went back to talk to them, I was like, "So do you have your voicemail <laughs> box?" And they're like, "What? What is that?" I was like, like, "No, I have a, oh, and a cell like, phone. You oh, idiot. I have a cell phone." And I was like. Oh yeah, I guess they don't need to do You're that You're like, I have anymore. a website, you know, a Twitter, an yeah. Instagram, yeah, like a Snapchat. In my mind, that was just like what you had to do, and that would be suspended in time that every person who graduated from school would have to have these voice mailboxes. But then I was like, 
oh, and you know what's really good is to send your headshot in the mail to every Remember casting postcards? person. Yeah. I was like, postcards. Because and they, they were might like, throw oh, no, out wait. your 8 by 10 so yeah. you have to get postcards. Yes. That, that will get past the, um, the mail. The guy was, the kid I was talking to was like, um, I, I just emailed them yeah. the, the picture. I was like, oh yeah, I know about email. I heard about that. Do you even have a hard copy of your 8x10 that you could locate? To be honest, yes. Where is it? <laughs> I, mean, I have it in the other... I have it in a pile of things over there. I have eight left. Nikki, yeah, that's it. Me and too. no one's asked for them. <laughs> but I got them. I have eight... I haven't like reordered probably in no. you know years. I So I was tested... Speaking of this, I tested for um, a TV pilot... Uh, I don't know, a couple years ago, whatever pilot it was. And even my manager like called me. Um, now we're getting into like the real nitty-gritty of the business. My manager called me and she was like, everyone is freaking out because for some reason they want 20 hard copies of your headshot and resume. And my manager was like, none of us have them. Right. Like, do you? I was like, 20. so literally like my agent was like, I think we have six. And my manager was like, I think I might have 10 and I was like I have like three of this one and like a few of the one from five years ago like yeah it was so they we just made photocopies like color yeah. copies of them right but but everyone was so confused that like that human beings wanted to actually hold paper in their right. hand with my yeah. picture on it yeah it's because it's not a, it doesn't exist anymore it's a really I remember weird thing. very specifically in college learning how to uh, glue your resume to the back of a headshot and make sure that you cut along the edges because the piece of paper is, is bigger, bigger than the headshot, headshot. and if you don't do that that's just a sign of an unprofessional actor and it's so annoying because you're like it's kind of like the hot dogs and the buns like yeah. you know how like there's more hot oh, right. dogs than sure. buns so if you buy like a package of hot dogs right. and a package of buns like it's uneven it's like uneven. why did we decide that headshots should be 8 by 10 if paper is 9.5 by 11 yeah oh it's it's maddening they, well, I think they're just trying to keep those you know those um, the, yeah, paper, the paper cutters. cutters in business yeah they did They've lost a lot of <laughs> revenue since we've all gone digital, mostly from actors not having to cut their um, So back to New Jersey. Mm -hmm. You you had this love. You, were, you had the benefit of going into the city yeah. and uh, Papalizio's uh -huh. uh, version and I was of the a business. And you were a stalker. Yeah. It's great. All, all positive things to get somewhere in this business. But then you went to college yeah. for, for acting. Where did you go? I went to NYU. And, and how was that experience for you? It was incredible. It was hard. It was a really... Going back to like going into college, I am like a, a singularly, singularly focused person. I think mm -hmm. I said that word right. But anyway, um, I... Uh, I knew I wanted to go to NYU. I knew I wanted to move to New York City. Obviously, all my experience, like being here, rent, like I had such, a, I wanted to be here. I already had friends who lived here. Right. And I knew I wanted to study performing, even though I was already acting professionally. Not like yeah. making a ton of money, but doing commercials. And I had an equity card and a SAC card. I mean, I could have just done it, I guess. Um, but I wanted to go to NYU. And, uh, and I remember telling my guidance counselor that I wanted to go to NYU. And she said, like, oh, well, you know. It's a difficult school to get into, and you know, and I was like, I'm sorry, I don't think you understood me. Like, I'm gonna go to NYU and study right. musical theater, and so 
to that end, I did like the summer program. Like they do a pre-college NYU summer right. program so that right. I could meet some that it was like four weeks. I got to live on campus and meet the instructors. Right. And, um, and I applied. I applied to one school. I looked at Carnegie Mellon, but I was like, oh, why would anyone want to live in Pittsburgh? And who knows? Like, I just, I was, I didn't even know about, you know, program. Like, I just heard, like, NYU has a great program. It's conservatory. I also wanted to double major. I wanted to study other things. It was a perfect uh, storm for me. But, um, you know, my dad died um, May of my senior year. Oh, I didn't realize that's what yeah. it was. So I had been accepted to NYU, yeah. and I remember saying to him like it's really expensive my dad's like we have money put away for you for college and I'm like yeah it's a really expensive education to like learn how to tap dance but you know if it's what you want you you know you'll have what you want right. and so then he he died in May um a month before my 18th birthday and then three months later I went to college and so I have like a mom who's single now you know a widow right and um and she's sending me to this like Forty at the time, I think probably forty thousand dollar a year at institution, right. and I had a little bit of scholarship, but not much, and uh, and so it was a, both an amazing experience and also like a very so the transformation that someone goes through when they they go from high school to college, and then coupling that with you know learning how to sort of navigate a world in, that's been like turned upside down, and then also this stress of of that my mother, who had no intention of sort of doing this on my own, her own, sending right. me to college, you know, it was like, it was a, it was a time where I really think I learned a lot of compartmentalizing, where I had to, like, this is what you do now to get through this, and, like, you worry about that other thing later. Right. Um, and then also, like, with the, my dad passing away, and then going to college, I got to sort of not recreate myself, but, you know, I got to, I didn't have to, like, be home. Right. Like, I got to create, like, a new world for myself. Mm -hmm. It was a really interesting experience, and, um, and then I was still auditioning, and I booked my first Broadway show self, my sophomore year. Which was what? The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Ah, yes. You did not see it. I did not see it, but I've heard of it. We ran 28 performances. Wonderful. Yeah, it was a huge flop. Yes, but who else was in it with you? Tomar Wilson. Tomar Wilson. Who's my best friend to this day. Yeah. Who's um, in, in, in Book of Mormon. He's with in us. Book of Mormon. Who's a listener. He's one of my listeners. Oh, he is. Yeah, he yeah. said he listens. So hi, Tomar. Hi, T. <laughs> and um, yeah, and Kristen Bell was in it. Right. Uh, I understudied Becky Thatcher. Wow. Yeah. I played Tom Sawyer at my children's theater, so I'm familiar with the material. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Was it a musical? We ran for uh, less than 28 performances. <laughs> so, uh, it was a musical. But it yeah. was now, it? Yeah, it was. It was. But, you know, it's like one of those children's Like a Sam musicals. French one of those. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I just remember Peyton the fans, Peyton the fans. Nothing's more funner or easier doneer than Peyton the fans. Peyton the fence on a Saturday out in the sun. I think we could probably become millionaires if all you have to do is like sell kids a, a show called. That's true. But guess there in there's a scene where he paints a fence, and we're gonna write a song called yeah. Peyton, Peyton the, the fence, fence, where the lyrics are Peyton the fence. Peyton the fence. Yeah, I mean, every school in town would do it. Um, 
Yeah, but you, so your first experience was a big flop, oh, but yeah. with so many amazing people. I mean, it, oh, yeah. I, you know, how, how you were introduced to all those talented folks oh, God, at once. Yeah. I don't think... And Kristen was at NYU, too. Kristen was at NYU. My friend Joe Gallagher. Who else was in it? There was like a million people, really talented people. And, um, yeah, but here's the thing about, like, having a flop show when you're still in college. It was like one semester. Right. It was basically like... Did you stay in school at the same time? No, I had to... Took a leave. Took a leave of absence. Sure. And then I just came back. It was like, I call it my semester abroad. Like, it was just the equivalent of that. Yeah. And I learned a lot. I learned that like booking a Broadway show or being in a Broadway show is not a guarantee of anything. I yeah. think I'm super grateful for the fact that it was a flop because can you imagine if my first experience was a big old hit right. and then the next thing you do is a flop? Right. Like no, if yeah. you think this is how it is. No, I mean there's many, many times I've been grateful that Book of Mormon came in a time in my life when... I didn't just think, oh, this is how everything works. I mean, we were old. We we were we we were older. I mean, <laughs> compared to like the people who actually do the show now. Yeah. Oh, like, I know they have so, children, but we worked on it for for years. Yeah, so so let's let's get to to that. But you you had that experience. You graduated from college, and you did you did another show. Yeah. Um, all shook up. Uh huh. In two thousand five. Uh, in two thousand five. So that was. A couple years after graduating. Yeah, it's funny. I worked on that show. I I booked that show, and I workshopped that show. So I went out right. of town with it. We did it at the Norma Terrace and at yeah. the Good, Good Speed, Speed Opera House, and I did two readings of the show in New York. So it was actually a similar amount of time than that I had worked on it before opening the show on Broadway as, as we did with Book of Mormon. Wow. And it's actually... Um, it's another like whatever like business story. I had auditioned for Wicked uh-huh. to play Nessa Rose, and mm-hmm. Wicked wasn't Wicked yet. This was two thousand and three or whatever. Right. And uh, I didn't get that part. And Stephen Remus, who was the musical director of Wicked, was also the musical director of All Shook Up. And right. I remember thinking that All Shook Up was my consolation prize. Like when, as it was happening, I was like, I bet like, because he thought I was like so good at right. that other audition that he was like, oh, I have this other project she'd be great for. Yeah. Like, but I have no idea if that's how it played out. It yeah. I know. Nice I always thought you always, you always try to connect the dots Yeah. in this business. Like when things don't work out or oh, when yeah. the next thing happens and you think, oh, this was, this happened because this, this, and this, but at the end of the day, it's all a fluke. Like, it's all yes. just, like, it's oh, yeah, well, it happened because and it's it, the way it happened. And it's, it probably is true that he was, that I was good in one audition. Yeah, he it certainly was the same. knew you. But, like, but that's probably, he wasn't thinking, like, well, that poor girl didn't get wicked, so, you know, I'm going to give her this job. Like, I don't think that's the way Getting that a Broadway show is never a consolation prize. <laughs> I don't think so. They don't, nobody has any, enough sympathy to be like, well, I feel bad, I'll give her a Broadway yeah. show. I don't think it works it doesn't that happen way. Like that, no, no, yeah, so that I did that in 2005. Right. And so... Um, also not a hit. Not a hit. A not sh- a flop. Not a flop. But not yeah, a Yeah, a fun show. And it's done still. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a, a good show. So it's kind of like in, in the middle there. Yeah. It was like, it was all my, it was all like leading up, you know, like you right. run a mile. Right. You can run like a half marathon. Right. Yeah. I was just preparing myself for the big prize. Right. So how, the big prize... Book of Mormon. Yeah. So what was your um, introduction to that? 
what did you, you got a call or what happened? Yeah, I got a phone call. Um, I was living in Canada. I was working at the Stratford Festival in Canada doing classical theater where I did not have to sing not one lick for an entire year. It was amazing. Um, With um, with Christopher Christopher Plummer. Plummer. Captain Von Trapp. That's right. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. He's a dream. I know. It's kind of weird. This is a business where you can become friends with people, like consider people your friends who are 50 plus years older than you are. Sure. And I'm not like, oh, like I have this like, no, it's like my friend, Christopher Plummer, like someone I would call for advice or go out for a glass of wine the same way you and I would. Right. It's a really weird thing in this business. Yeah. And so, so my manager called me. Oh, by the way, like that manager who signed me when I was 13 is still managing me today. I know. I know her. It's been 20 it, that's, years. That's unbelievable. I know. I can't I've never out. heard of that. I, you know, I don't know if it's a bad or a good thing, but it's what It's I've what done. it is. And she's she's a great person. Yeah, and she I really know is. that she certainly works hard for you and adores you. Yep. And that's, it's just, it's it's amazing. Yeah. It's really weird. So loyalty people. Yeah. Sometimes you're rewarded for that. Yeah, I got a call. And she said, I'm sure you got a similar call. And they said, um, so the guys from South Park are working on this show. Um, it's being directed by, at the time, Jason Moore, who had mm-hmm. done Avenue Q, and it's um, the guys from South Park and Bobby Lopez, who had worked on Avenue Q, and Stephen Arimbus, who I'd worked with on All Shook Up. Right. Still feeling bad about that wicked yeah. audition. Just, just trying to get, trying to get trying to make more, up for it Yeah, for you. still trying to make up for it. Want to get me that hit. Yes. And then, and she said, so it's a two-week reading. You're going to be playing um, an African... They said, I think she said princess. Really? She was like, it, it's in Africa. And I was like, okay. He said, we can't send you the script. We can't give you any of the music. And they just want you to be aware of the irreverent nature right. of their brand of right. humor. Which is like, I was a person who like South Park premiered when I was in middle school or yeah. high school. So yeah, I watched yeah. it. And also I needed insurance weeks. Yeah. So I said like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. Like, how how bad could this possibly be? It's not going to be worse than like the worst reading I've ever done. Right. And there have been some bad readings. Sure. And I like all these people. And so um, I showed up and you guys had already done one reading that I wasn't yes, in. Yes, but it was only like six songs. Right. It was just the beginning and I got a similar phone call uh-huh. from Bobby Lopez and I was working at a financial firm as a temp. That's right. Got a call. That's right. And hi, this is Bobby Lopez. And I was like, I'm going to need to take a five in the break room. And, you know, I'm getting this like most amazing call ever from someone who is a genius. And he goes, hey, I just want to make sure you know that um, when we're doing this reading that uh, there's a song in it. And uh, you don't sing it, but it's it's it got the lyrics "F you God" in it. He warned you of that. He warned me of it. I mean, and I, that, think, I didn't get that. I know, warning. but I think it's because it was the first time that they were showing it to any human beings, anyone outside of the th- the three of them. And I really think that they were scared that actors would just would not do it. Uh-huh. And I said, you wrote this, right? And he said, yes. And I was like, then I can't wait to, to do, it. do it. And I know that, you know, I fully trusted that those people would know what they were doing with where, and I would go wherever they led me. But they were, they were afraid that it would be too hard to get actors to do it. And at that time, it still said like screenplay 
on the Oh, front. that's right, because they weren't sure what they it was They weren't sure if be. it was going to be a stage show. And I remember, after that first one, going up to Trey Parker and being totally in awe of him. But I said, please, please put this, this on stage. Don't did make this really? a movie. I did. I said, I said, Broadway needs this. I need this. <laughs> I, I You're was like, like, because I cannot work at that I, I, I like, I've got to get out of my temp uh, job. <laughs> but, you know, and then it was just a, a three-year period, and that's when you came in, and you, you know, that enough, that role didn't exist until you came into right, it yeah. and started, you know, making it what it was with them. And, you know, my role didn't exist. No. There was, there was no turn it off or anything. No. I just had, like, two little lines in... in in the beginning and so that three-year period I think that you agree with this was the most beautiful magical creative experience of my life I mean I think like it's so hard because it's been a long time and we talk about it so much yeah like and I've talked about it so much and you, you start to just like it's like any of the origin story. You've said it so many times that you like forget that it actually happened. Right. And so like even just like sitting here right now and hearing like, it's like I could get emotional thinking about it because it really was. Yeah. Like and not only just not only that, the people who were in the room along those ways, like those three years where we really grew up all together. Yeah. You know, we were in our late twenties, mid yeah. to late twenties, mm-hmm. which is the time in which. A lot of actors leave, right? And we Absolutely. all had varying levels of success, but it, it gets hard, and and we were and we were all just on board with this thing. Yeah, I think that's what you're what you were saying to that we were old. Yeah. we were we were around long enough to know a good thing yeah. when we saw it. Yeah. So when it landed in our laps. There wasn't one second where we took it for granted nope. or thought, well, this thing will, you know, if it goes or not, you know, something else will come around. This was like a precious, precious yeah. gift to all of us. And for three years, we held it in our arms and cradled it. And I would be at my temp job Googling, like, is anyone talking I about know, it? Is there a, what is going to happen? And just wanting to know where it was going to go. And I tell the story, I think I might have told on the podcast that I went to auditions and a casting director said, I saw the reading of Book of Mormon you did. Funniest thing I've ever seen in my life, but it'll never go to Broadway. They'll never produce something that raunchy on a Broadway stage. And I believed her. I believed her. I was like, well, I guess... That's you are true. Effing nice. <laughs> like, well, I mean, I would I, be like, I, what the I, fuck? I, do you, you know what? Know? I, I, you know, that's part of me was that, but it, the other part was like, what do I know? I know. You know, it's like what this that you never. It's like when when Gerald, my now husband, when he um, asked me if I thought Book of Mormon was going to do well before it opened, I said, I really think we may run a year. I think I think we can do it. And I believed that full-heartedly. Like, I thought people who love musicals and people who get what this is, they're going to go crazy for it. But there's no way we can stay open for a long period of time. I guess we just didn't know. I had no idea. And he told me, when I said that to him, you're a fool. This is going to be the biggest hit in years. I think I don't want to like pretend like I had like some kind of crystal ball or that like I'm the luckiest girl in the world. But I've had 
I've been involved in the like developmental process all of us have on so many musicals and and who knows hindsight's 2020 and like we said earlier every time like one thing leads to another you say like oh I always knew or something led me to this audition and not that audition and I didn't get that job so I could have this other job but three times in my career I have been in the room where a piece of theater was being developed and I thought holy shit right the first time was in 2000 when I did a reading of Spring Awakening for Roundabout Theater Company with Gavin Creel, Leah Michelle, me, like all these people, Roger Bart, because there was a masked man character, Ah. Roger Bart played it, and we did another one where Michael McElroy played it, Hmm. and I remember thinking like, oh my god, this is like, this is it. it, to me, like I was like, this is Rent, like this show is going to be Rent, it was then, it was the reading, uh, the Mormon reading, and the time that Lynn Miranda came backstage at the Book of Mormon and said, I'm working on this musical. I hear your voice singing it. Would you just like come and hang out with us for a few days just so I can hear it aloud? And I was like, oh yeah, sure. Like, what is it? He's like, I'll send you some stuff. It's, it's like, it's like Alexander Hamilton. Like, it'll be a rap musical. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sounds cool. Whatever. Like, I'll show up. <coughs> and it was just like Lynn, Alex Lacamoire, like me, Chris Jackson, a few people, like four or five people just in a rehearsal studio at that, at uh, Chelsea Studios um, for Jeffrey Sellers and Ron, the guy who wrote the book. And it was just really casual, just like 30 minutes or something. It was maybe the first half of the first act. And I remember calling my manager, same manager, and I said, Lynn Miranda is writing the next greatest American musical. She said, what is it? I said, it's a rap musical about Alexander Hamilton. She was like, oh, come on. Right. And I was like, okay, fine. I said, I felt the magic. I'm just saying. I felt the magic. If he said to me, hey, do you want to do this? I'll do it. Right. And she was like, okay. And I said, Elise, I've been right three times. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, No, I mean, the thing is, is that when you are in those situations where you're getting material, you know, there's a lot of good stuff that you're like, Uh it's it's there, but, you know, nothing is flying off the page. Sometimes when you're... When you're doing a reading or a musical and like it was like Book of Mormon, it was like it was already written. Like it was already mm-hmm. a part of the yeah, oh Broadway gosh, yeah. like text that, you know, it just was familiar. And we knew what, you know where the writers were going yeah. and, and what it was overall and that it could have a huge impact. You know, I'm just too Irish Catholic to think that anything that I was involved with could last oh, right. too long. But I'm like so like immigrant hopeful, right? Yeah. Like I'm like my thing is like my parents are like you actually you can you know right you're gonna, because like, your get parents on a boat or a plane did it and, like, like move to yeah. a country and like make it happen. Yeah, man, I'm a few generations from the immigrant uh, hopefulness and really just trying to like Fear. wait for the other it. foot to drop, oh, shoe yeah. to drop. Yeah, I um, but. I remember really, I think that, you know, I always said that the Book of Mormon Theater was the happiest place <laughs> to work because, you know, one, we, it was it was just a fun show to do. Mm-hmm. It was very light and happy and laughter all the time. But again, it was a bunch of people who had worked really hard and and been out there and, and not, you know, we talked about your story of getting there and only talked about the Broadway shows but you had plenty of time where you weren't working <laughs> and I and I mean I, I mean that in the sense that yes! you got where you were and I will never forget a preview 
at the end of the show, you ran off stage, stage right, where I was waiting for my next entrance with the pink suitcase, and it was just clear that the audience was responding in a way that was beyond our wildest dreams. And you said, I'm never selling lipsticks again. <laughs> I, you literally grabbed me and said, I will never sell a lipstick. And I said, okay, Nikki, I will, will make you. And you will never answer a phone at yes. some tender. Yes. No, because six months before we open, mm-hmm. and six months before, I won a fucking Tony Award. Mm-hmm. Crazy shit. Right. I was selling lipstick at Barney to buy my my family Christmas gifts. Right. Because I didn't, you know, my unemployment had run out. Right. And I had, I had turned down a job uh, back in Canada to stay home in New York because uh, my nephew was born and he was really sick. Right. And also because I had this inkling. I was like, I think I want to be available for the Book of Mormon and I'm pretty sure if I do this job, I would have missed that last workshop. And so it was like those two things, but I didn't have any money because I didn't have a job. Yeah. And so I was selling lipstick at Barney's. I don't know anything about makeup. Like I had no business selling anything to anyone, but I also wasn't on commission. So I didn't care about selling. So I would just like stand there and people would be like, oh, well, do you think this color looks good on me? I'd be like, yeah. (laughs) And they'd be like, yeah, me too. And then I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. And I'd be like, and I would literally be like, it doesn't really matter to me one way or the yeah. other if you buy it. I yeah. think it's pretty, but like it's expensive. If you don't want a $20 lipstick, then fine. That's why I was such a bad waiter because I am the least picky eater. I will eat anything you put in front of me. <laughs> so when people have specific demands, I'd be like, oh, you're, that's a suggestion, right? You don't, if it has mayo on it, you don't care. And no, they, people they got get really crazy angry. About that. Oh, people they get so mad. It was really funny. I'll never forget the woman who stood next to me selling lipstick. She sold for another brand called Dr. Sabah. Her name was Soraya. And she was like older and she had like kids who were teenagers and she was always asking me for advice about like how to get her kids to like do things. And and Soraya was also a shitty saleswoman because she whispered all the time. So like, and, and Dr. Sabah is the name of the line, which is hard to say anyway. Right. And she had a little accent and people would walk past her and she'd be like, would you like to buy Dr. Sabah? Would you like to dress like Dr. Sabah? And I'd be like, Soraya, literally those people can Sing out, you. Louise. <laughs> Dr. Sabah. I just remember, I right. hear that in my head. Right. I was like, oh, I wonder if she won a Tony Award because no. she wasn't a good salesperson. <laughs> 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 so, so I think that another part of uh, what I'd like to talk about with you, because we have, the, because of Book of Mormon, we should yeah. have experience, is post Book of Mormon. Because obviously, Book of Mormon is was was the greatest experience of our creative uh-huh. lives. Not because there aren't great things in the future, and that we haven't gotten to do a lot of really cool things, but I think that a really important thing to talk about is kind of like what it feels like after you leave a show eight times a week, doing something that's you you won a Tony for. I lost a Tony for that. You know that you that you get to have that experience and there are so many people who you know think that after you achieve something like that yeah, or get to be part of it yeah, then exactly. it's just keep going up that ladder yeah, our business sucks for that right. that's not a thing no like, it's not in most thing. people's career like you reach a certain milestone and like odds are you don't go back like right. if you become like 
partner at the law firm. Yeah, they don't like make you go back to being a first year associate next right. year. Right. You know, and like, but that's not this business. Not this business. And and you are only as good as your next job, and <laughs> next job, literally, like yeah. you constantly, even when you're doing the job you're doing, it's like two things. Well, first of all, like after I won the Tony Award, um, I became an insane person, like privately, and I had like a lot of performance anxiety hmm. and like I started feeling like doubting myself really? I think that there's some element of like striving that was comfortable sure and achieving was really unnatural to me I'll be I'll be honest with you I was very relieved yeah. to not win a Tony and I know that some people won't believe that no, I say that but I got to watch your experience as well yeah which was beautiful and you winning a Tony and your acceptance <laughs> speech was one of the best parts of the Book of Mormon for me That's so nice hands down it's the truth but I knew that there was a new pressure oh god yeah not just on everything I felt so much pressure on what are you going to do after Book of Mormon yeah. and I couldn't imagine you know after it was what for you what you were going through yeah and we and there was all this expectation put on us you know like you hear like, oh, so-and-so, so-and-so won a Tony Award and the next year was on Grey's Anatomy. And I'm right. like, well, that's what's going to happen to me. Yeah. And like, that isn't what happened. Right. Um, I remember the four of us, Josh, Josh Andrew. and Andrew, you and me, and we were all kind of going through this and Josh and Andrew both got like TV shows right away. Right. And we were trying to figure out whether or not we were going to stay for a second year. And there was the pressure of saying like, well... If I stay for a second year, is that going to look like no one else wanted me? Right. But, like, also remember, we didn't make that much money the first year. No. Like, we did well. I mean, listen, I was no, getting yeah, paid, yeah. But, like... But this, it, was, it, was, it was close. It was just the minimum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, the yeah. year two, it felt like, okay, I could be here and, like, for the first time in my life, at already 30 years old, like, right. have money in a savings account. Like, pay off my credit card bills. Yeah. So, like, not staying for year two, like, didn't make sense to me. Plus, I wasn't ready to go. Like, yeah. even when I left, I wasn't ready to go. Right. And so, um, so I was really confused as to, like, what was supposed to come next, like, with yeah. the business, the industry. I remember thinking, you know, oh, I won a Tony Award. And everyone was saying, like, all the biggest agencies are going to want to sign you now. And so I thought, like, great. You know, I'm going to move to... And, like, they all were wouldn't even take a meeting. Right. And I learned a couple of things. Like, timing is everything. And, like, nothing means anything. And so you could win a Tony Award and never work again. Yeah. Or you could not win a Tony Award and become the biggest star in the world. And it was really hard both, like, feeling a little bit like, like, a, like I wasn't good enough or... I had moments where I thought, like, did I only win because I was, like, kind of swept up in the Mormon movement? Like, if I were, if Mormon wasn't the hit that it was, like, maybe I'm not that good. And, and the reason why these things aren't happening right away, it, it was a very strange experience. And there's no one to talk to about it. No. And I, and I, I, I see that because yeah. I understand what you're saying exactly and that's I, I love that I get to joke that I'm the Tony loser Royal Mally right. because there's nothing right. that I have to carry around right. with me with that. Right. You know, it's very easy. You're right. Um 
and I know what that felt like for you. Yeah. And the truth is, you know, like I know that everyone listening. I mean, I'm not going to give it back. No. <laughs> it's in there your purse right it, now, right? There's the days that make me feel like there are the days that make me feel like, oh my god, I won a Tony Award. Does that mean like? Oh, it means I have to be actually good in this concert because otherwise people are going to be like, she won a Tony Award. Yeah. And then there are days where I'm like, I can't get out, where I'm like just sitting at home and I have nothing to do and I like pick up the trophy and like walk around the house with it. Like, right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm never giving it back. I, I, I love it more than anything. Yes. But you yes. know, with know. great responsibility. Yes. <laughs> with great power. Yes. Or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. No, it, it, it definitely, I think, is... Uh, a lonely place to be. There aren't too many Tony winners in yeah. the world. And it's it's t- it's hard to live up to the expectation of what that means to you. But the good thing is is that nobody cares about things like that other than us. You know, I, like, I know yeah. it's it's a it's one like I, I when I got into the Hamilton cast, you know, they're all like 20 years old they were like now what have you done before and I was, I was in this show uh, Book of Mormon they were like oh okay yes I know that one um, were you there last year I was like no I was in I was there in the beginning and it is a wonderful gift to me and I know for you now like as you do oh, other yeah. theatrical things to have gone through the Book of Mormon experience and for me to now be in Hamilton I don't have any pressure on Hamilton for me at all. I mean, not not just because I was like going into the show like when it was already open, but like I'm there every day, and every day is just that day. Yeah. It's that job. It's, it's a- that moment. There's no pressure. What am I gonna do after Hamilton? People give that to you. They oh, yeah. say like, oh, what are you gonna do after this? I go, I don't know. I'm probably gonna show up to the theater tomorrow yeah. and do it again. And also, like you learn. First of all, I want to say like there's nothing more humbling than like and like you are a super humble person and like I hope that I come off as kind of humble as I am as you know like but like there's nothing that's like both like more humbling and also satisfying when someone when you know like someone says or introduces me to a friend I'll never forget this moment someone's like well uh, you know Nikki won a Tony award and the person like, oh wow a Tommy yeah <laughs> what's, what's that for and I just remember thinking like see and, and it's that it relieves pressure from you when you realize that like all of this madness is shit that you've just cooked up in your own yeah. brain to make you crazy. Yeah. When I was going to a Broadway show uh, like two weeks ago, the usher saw me and she said, right this way, this entrance for Tony winners, she says to me. <laughs> and I said, oh, I didn't win. <laughs> And then she, she was like, goes, Back she in the said, line. and she got no, she got she got embarrassed, and she went, oh, and I I realized she probably doesn't know my name, she just knows that yep. I was in Mormon and yep. thinks I won a Tony for it. Yep. So she was like, oh, well, you should have won, and I said, thank you. You don't know who is in the category or anything, but people, but people, it's just funny to me because the things that we think are so important or or that are to other people, they don't know, and you know, like it's it's. A wonderful honor that you won the Tony and oh you deserved God. it and you were so brilliant in that performance and like I said it was it it, it felt like a win for all of us yeah. and I and I, I mean that not to take credit for your win but you know no, it was. that was that was you were the heart of a sh- of, a, of a show that was uh, in need of, of heart and that's why I think it was such a success yeah and I think that it was uh, 
without what you did, the show just wouldn't be what it was. And so, you know, it was well um, learned. I remember after I won, I was in the, um, like, the press area. And so, like, they make you leave the building, actually. And, like, and so I had no idea if you had won or not. Oh, right. And I walked into this room, and they were, like, and I was, like, so... And they, because they, I knew that I was going to see whoever won supporting actress, supporting actor in a musical, and I right. saw it was like John Larroquette, right? And they wanted me to take all these pictures with him, yeah. And I was like, no, <laughs> I did, but I was like so because that's how I found out. I was just yeah. like, shit. Yeah. Talking about winning a Tony, I was sitting next to Andrew Rannells, um, at I can't remember where we were, but this woman's like, oh well, you know, I was in the theater in the lobby, you know, when you won to Andrew. And he was like, no. And she was like, yes, I was. Oh. I remember because your dad, your your dad was in was trying to get back into the room and they wouldn't let him in because it wasn't a commercial break. And and so I know, like, when you won. Right. And Andrew was like, no. And she was like, yes, because and she just kept on she, telling him like, that this is what happened. You won a Tony. Yes. And I remember it. And I was there, and this is why I remember it. And, and I had to, like, move myself away from the conversation because I was so, like, massively uncomfortable that, like, Andrew had to, like, get into, like, basically an argument with this woman. Right. To be like, I didn't win a Tony, ma'am. No matter how much you think <laughs> my father fought to get into that theater, it just didn't happen. I'm so sorry. And she wouldn't leave it alone. It was pretty awesome. Well, it's I think that, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to take from that in it, that a lesson from that yeah. in general not just about tony awards but that the things that we think about are so important in this business especially when it comes to what other people think yeah. the milestones of like i don't know if people really appreciate me if i haven't gotten my first broadway show or if i haven't done this kind of a role yeah. or this nobody cares nobody cares and that shouldn't be something that makes you sad it should give you some kind of relief well, it's freeing it's freeing you can be yourself and you can have your own journey if right. you're less concerned with how everyone else is perceiving whatever the hell your journey is right and like and you don't know what it's gonna be right. I mean that's 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 the story of like I'm never selling lipstick again right. it's like first of all I may have to sell lipstick again yeah. I don't and I will be fine with that too like, yeah I think what you... Oh, I still have my temp agent's phone number really? in my yeah. phone. I mean... I'm in contact with her every so often. I give her names of people who are looking for work, but I'm always ready. I know yeah. that she's the reason I was able to do Book of Mormon. It's because she got me work at financial Of firms. course. And yeah. you have to just have that. And you asked earlier about like what happens after. And like what happened after was... Um, I did a bunch of really amazing things that that doing Mormon allowed me to do while also staying in the show. Right. Um, like I did a play off Broadway and I did like a movie and some TV stuff. And then when it was time to leave, it was, you know, Josh and Andrew had already left and you had left already. And, and I was like, I guess it's time to go. And I got this call that they were reviving Les Miserables. And I was like, well, I need to be in the show. Yeah. That was my ultimate, my theater girl fan. And so it was like I got to leave, you know, the show of my dreams that I didn't know existed until I saw it on the paper to do the one this that other you show. Off of yeah, it. yeah, and it was it was also it was an, an amazing experience. And then, you know, I and only stayed in Lamis for a year at that point because I've been doing eight shows a week for so long. I was exhausted. Yeah, but uh, but that was the first like when I left Lamis, that was really the first time I had chosen, you know. 
the abyss of unknown other right. than like the comfort and the security of a, yeah. of a job in a theater. Well, you have a great work ethic and clearly that is another part of your immigrant family, oh, yeah. you know, of, of needing to hustle to make things happen. And I think that you're a great example uh, of someone who's made an amazing mark on this industry. And oh, like, gosh. I think that you're awesome and I really appreciate you talking I love me. talking to you. I love talking to you, too. I mean, we always do. It's just nice that we can share. I hope all these people think it's interesting, too. They will. They will. You know, I think that it's it's um, it's nice to get to hear a, a phenomenal actress, Tony Winner, talk about her insecurity after winning. Because I think that we all have it every single day, every time we walk into a room and try to say that we are worthy of being doing what we do and so yeah. it's helpful helpful for me knowing how talented you are to know that you have that feeling as well some people and you know i had this I, this conversation once and this is the last thing i'll say where i had this moment where someone said the reason why they were talking about basketball the reason why steph curry is so good at basketball is because you can see in his face that he never thinks he's not going to make the shot right right he just and like he has this and you can see that when yeah. you watch him and I'm like okay that's one way and this guy was like that's why he's so good and I was like well that's why Steph Curry is so good hmm. but then I watched this Serena Williams um, documentary which if you guys haven't seen it or I haven't, haven't seen, seen it, it it's, it's literally amazing I'm fully obsessed with her wow. and she talks about she's arguably the greatest athlete male, male or female yeah. who's ever stepped foot on a tennis court and she talks about what drives her is is a little bit of a fear of failure. Like, that is her drive. Right. Like, she doesn't know that she's the best. That's why she works as hard as she does. Like, right. she's striving constantly, and she has several... And I thought, there's two. There's a more than one way to get to, like, success. To success. And every... And the one other thing is, nobody knows what's in someone else's heart. You know, we don't, I don't know. I'm saying Steph Curry always thinks he's going to make the shot because that's the way I'm perceiving him based on his talent or Serena Williams is whatever. And you just don't know what's in people's hearts. It's really, it's a, it was an amazing insight because, uh, and that's why she's like totally my hero. Well, thanks for letting us into your heart. Oh yeah. Into my heart. (laughs) I love you. Thanks for talking to me. Mm -hmm. Audition side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. 
Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.